Hello and welcome to Mr J Talks Continuous Provision. This week we are looking specifically just at year two and how that works at St Paul's and in James's classroom. Welcome James. Hi. Nice to have you here again. Well you know becoming a bit of a regular. So just give us a brief outline of the last two podcasts James. So the first podcast we looked at was buying so getting everybody on a board all the key stakeholders parents children uh, and senior leadership teams. So if you haven't had an opportunity already, that's a fantastic place to start. Um, last week, we looked at transition into year one uh, with our fantastic EYFS teacher, Charlotte. Um, we went through some key transition techniques that we've used and what we would do in light of coronavirus. Fantastic. And I know that there have been a lot of questions specifically about year two and how this works for them. Mm -hmm. uh, some of those include the outdoor area, what your environment looks like and whole class teaching, which I know you've already discussed previously. So I don't propose that we talk about those today because people can look at that uh, in other places. But I would really like to just start with year two and how let's talk about how initially it differs from year ones in your class. Okay, so the expectation is key and everything we talk about always starts with expectation. We're looking at what are children doing with their continuous provision time um, and how is it effective. And I would always recommend spending the first two weeks not putting learning challenges into place straight away, instead focusing on what is happening in the continuous provision time. Now, I often get people ask me, well, if you're interfering with this, is that not becoming adult-led? Um, my argument to that is that if you don't model to the children what the expectations are within that continuous provision time, the children are not ever going to be able to respond in the way that you want them to. So my top tip to start off and how we differ is making sure that you're modelling constantly. What is the expectation from year two? How am I going? How are you going to be um, producing learning that is year two worthy? Um, and that always, always comes back with continuous provision to the environment. And my first top tip that I would give with continuous provision in year two is making sure you are familiar with the end of year objectives uh, assessment framework for year two. You need to know it like the back of your hand, because if you don't know that, you can't steer that ship um, when you're given the challenge too. So making sure that you've read it, you know exactly what the statements are. And Ben, we, at the start of year, um, when we put our provision into place, one of the things we did was we got that assessment framework out and highlighted, didn't we? We highlighted the framework and said, right, it says here that children need to use conjunctions. Well, how, what is opportunities is there in this environment to make sure that's happening? So we looked at small world, we looked at how, it, how are we going to ensure children are exposed to that? Now, this is also balanced with the need for whole class teaching. And yes, there is a whole class teaching element to continuous provision in year two. We only do it at the start of the week, four sessions, 20 minutes each, and that doesn't include maths. We do maths as a group work always. We don't do a whole class. The reason for that is because I do have year ones in my classroom, so that's one of the factors. But also, I think you can get a real understanding when you work with those children in the focus group about where they are and if you need to spend that time doing that input. Um, I was reading something today on Twitter actually where teachers were talking about you know when you send your more ables off during the input and actually you avoid that totally with continuous provision and focus groups because you can pull them off straight away and say right this is where we are with the learning let's start going from here and you can support them. Um, so it's really really important to have that good mixture of whole class teaching short bursts, only the essentials, but high quality modelling, but plenty and plenty of modelling in the actual environment. 
So James, you talk about having high expectations for year two. What does that mean? Longer writing, more writing in their books? What, what does that actually mean? So with year two, what I'm expecting them to do is be thinking about the language choices. Um, I, I, I'm passionate about writing. It's one of the things I love getting children to do. And the big thing for me is about exposing children to rich, uh, rich uh, examples of language. And I would always, always say, if you're going to have your continuous revision, that's the fantastic starting point. The environment has to come first. But then our next step and our next kind of layer um, of this is the enhanced provision. And what this is, is how what you're teaching and learning uh, involved. So that's your almost topic stuff that we would have called it previously. So in our first term of continuous provision, we did Great Fire of London. Now it was important for me that I had texts that were going to support the children at a year two level um, and other opportunities within the environment, such as um, conjunctions, um, written with children. I know I often walk into classrooms and I see beautiful handwritten displays, which is, you know, what we were massive advocates of that at Semples, aren't we, Ben? Mm. And what I would say is that there's no point in having that if it's not created with the children. So that comes back to that whole class modelling of when you're in the environment and you're talking to the children. So, for example, two of the children in my class were year two in the cooking area. Um, and I was noticing they were trying to write instructions, but what they were not doing was putting the adverb at the start of the sentence. So the first um, and then next and, and, and those time words that we need to get children using to write instructions. So together we got the black sheets of card out, we got the uh, gold pens and we started writing those things and put them up on the wall around the cooking area so that other children could come into that environment and use So the essential thing about year two and the expectation of it is that you're creating the environment with the children but also always looking for opportunities to stretch. So James, is there an expectation that you record for every continuous provision activity, every learning challenge, every lesson? What do your books actually look like? Okay, so we have three main books in my classroom. We have our maths book, our curriculum journals, and our independent journals. All three have a different role. The important thing is that I record the, the stuff I need and make sure it's put in there the way I do that is that I get children to take an active role in that. I don't go around evidence gathering. I get the children to do that. And my biggest tool for that is my independent journals. And what they are is they are journals that belong solely to the children. They're journals where we teach them how to cut, trim, stick, um, print something off of an iPad, the photos they've taken, and stick it into their books. Now, I often, when people talk about continuous provision, I often hear the, um, that people use tapestry, for example, to take photos and upload. Um, ben, you would probably give a, a, a great kind of um, response to this because we don't take that approach at Temples, do we? We don't have to take photos of everything as evidence. I think there's a, a lot of emphasis put into teacher assessment and teachers' understanding of the children. Hmm. I think one of the biggest things that, that schools are, are doing these days is uh, thinking that teachers aren't doing their jobs properly and therefore they need to see the evidence, they need a daily piece of writing, they need a daily piece of evidence. Whereas actually all you need to do is just talk to the children, see what they've been learning, talk to them about what they've learned, look at the displays, look at the working walls and that tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, and exactly. And I think that goes hand in hand with our assessment system as well, Ben, in terms of those, those um, you know, three times a year, that assessment window where we, we look at age appropriate assessments, we assess them against it, we have that pupil progress meeting, that's really a conversation. It's not, it's not an accountability um, 
issue. It's, it's us talking honestly about, right, where are they and what do we need to do about it? One of the examples I could give is at the start of this year, we had a group of children, we, when we were assessing their writing and responding to it, we, we looked at story writing and story language, particularly in year two, was quite poor. Um, so from that, Ben, and from that pupil progress meeting that we had about it, we were able to put more effective tools into spaces like um, Small World, um, into the areas outside, so that when the children were outside using everything out there, they could start writing about it as well. So using assessment is really, really important there. So that's the independent journal. What the independent journal is for is to document their learning, what they want to show you. And nine times out of 10, you get kind of things back that you've modeled to them, but that's a great understanding of what they really, really know. It's, you get one piece of writing when you're stood over a child's shoulder saying, okay, right, I want you to do this to me, and it has to include this. You get another honest piece of assessment when you say, right, this is your journal, and you take it off, and you use it how you want. Now, our maths books are used in a sense of, um, we have them, we follow the white rose scheme, which is absolutely fantastic for ma uh, mass mastery. Um, and what we do there is that we will have focus groups where we focus on particular state steps within that white rose scheme. And that all goes into the book. Other things we do for the continuous provision, and I know people are asking about this on Twitter, and how we further mass mastery, that we, we make sure the environment is not set so there's one mass corner. And two environments that would always, uh, areas that I'd always strongly suggest people don't go near is a reading corner, a writing corner, and a mass corner. All three things need to be embedded within the whole continuous provision, not just set areas that you go here if you want to write, you go here if you want to do maths. It has to be everywhere. And one of the ways I achieve this with maths mastery is I go onto websites like Enrich and they have some fantastic resources there that you can dip into um, and children love them. You know, when you give children abstract problems to solve and you put those in a, a, in a way that is relevant to them, it, you challenge them, you stretch them. So for example, I can think of a number, bond a number bond activity that there was in there that was a pyramid and they had to make the different, it was all split up into triangles and they had to make the number bonds match. Now, I, one a way I could do that is by just printing it off and sticking it in their books and saying, right, off you go do this. But actually what we, we spoke about it, we looked at it, we explored it with one of my, with my more able group. And then from there, what we did is we took it outside and we, we, we went from the, almost the paper to reality. And what I mean by that is that children started building that in the outside area. They started getting sticks and thinking, right, I'm going to put the number three here. I'm going to put the number seven here because they're, they're number one to 10. So mass mastery comes through when you start to make it a part of the whole continuous provision. Um, so we have that mass book. We document everything from focus groups to um, independent opportunities to learn. Um, the other thing we do is we ensure that the writing opportunities are there. Now, we have curriculum journals that really focus on the learning challenges that I set. And the learning challenges that I set are based on our school's progression maps. Now, I know progression maps are really a buzzword at the moment because everyone seems to think that's what Ofsted want to see. Um, and Ben, can you know, we went for an Ofsted this year. Um, I don't really think they were focused on seeing progression maps. The key thing they wanted to see was progression itself. What does progression look like? Um, yeah, I think I think one of the the key progression documents that they wanted to have a look at was reading, which is where yes. you came into it, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And you, you need to be able to show across the board what's happening in different year groups. And people ask me about mixed age groups and how that works. And as long as you have a kind of structure, a formula as to what is the expectation from each year group, then 
you know, that, that really goes hand in hand with effective teaching because you know, right, year one teacher should have taught this. So in year two, I need to teach this and make sure they are here. James, you talk a lot about your independent journals and they, they sound fantastic. And actually, we, we've got them to a point where they look really, really good. But there is that danger that they could look a real mess and then you're taking them to moderation and, and <laughs> a reflection of your school. Have you got any tips or tricks about that? Yes. Make them earn it. Be that teacher that makes them earn it. At the start of the year, make it the prized possession that every child wants to have. They're fantastic. I make sure that every child is envious when they, don't, when they see other children getting it. But that builds their desire. I know in my heart of heart that by the end of that first term, everybody's going to have an independent journal. But what I want to do is make sure that they are all kept to that great standard. You need to practice as well. We've got those children's trimmers that are actually brilliant because you just get children to practice and they do it for you rather than you having to cut everything out and stick it in there. The other thing to do is to make sure that when you want effective writing, you need to make sure that you're giving ch children opportunities to do that in not just the small world area where you're going to be looking for those story writing, but in the woodwork area where you want some fantastic designs or in the art when they're evaluating their work. And the biggest thing there is just putting templates and putting opportunities and paper and pens out in every area that is possible so that writing opportunities can take place now the other thing i want to focus on that part of that question ben is the fact that you said oh do they have to look you know want to look pretty for moderation one of the biggest myths i think about continuous provision is that it has to be, be this pristine environment that looks you know picture perfect and i think we all have this idea of what that looks like the key thing for me is making sure all resources are available for children at every point of the day and um, but then also the most important thing is making it work for your children. And sometimes that's going to look a bit messy. Sometimes learning is messy and you just have to embrace that as a teacher. As long as you know that the outcomes from that learning are going to be pushing your children on, that is the most essential part of it is to ensure that, you know, messy opportunities for learning are an opportunity for learning regardless. So James, let, let's talk about the elephant in the room and that's SATs. Mm -hmm. uh, so lots of teachers or senior leaders or head teachers watching this are, are going to inevitably ask that question about SATs and how do we pre prepare for that and the work that goes into that and how does that work with continuous provision in year two? Yes, it, it, it's, it is the elephant in the room, isn't it? It's the question we always get asked, the question that year two teachers walk in and say, fabulous, it's great, but what are you doing about SATs? My argument has always from day one been, if you want great attainment, you need to get fantastic engagement. Um, and attain attainment and engagement go hand in hand. Now, I'm not naive to the fact that those assessments at the end of the year, if you didn't touch them at all or go near them in preparation, then your children would be at a disadvantage. A disadvantage. One of the ways we get around that is making sure there's short burst assessments throughout the whole week and we use pink, uh, pink sheets assessments where they're exam-based questions, test-based questions that not only look at reading and writing, but they also look at the foundation subjects like science. And they're all set up in a test-based way. And I've posted some examples of those on my Twitter account. The other thing we do is ensure that there is opportunities for those summative windows where those tests that they do are aligned. And then we've gone through test paper after test papers looking for the most aligned with statutory assessments, haven't we? We've looked at them, we've looked across the market and we, we've now um, set our kind of sights on what we think is the right assessments they should be doing, which is the NTS assessments. 
Um, I would also say that, you know, when it comes to reading, for example, the best way to get children ready for the reading is one, always first read to them, but then give them opportunities to talk about it. Make that reading part of the culture of your classroom and that test at the end of the year really, really doesn't become that much of a barrier. As long as your children have stamina to read um, and they're aware of the types of questions they're going to get asked, then I, I've found in, you know, few years that I've been in year one and two now that children have effectively been able to access those SATS papers. Fantastic okay um, something else I wanted to discuss with you was that back to buy-in which I know you talked about in your first podcast but did you find that the year two parent buy-in was different to the year one and what did you do about that? So yes um, the year one children that we had in our class at the start, uh, year two children we had at the start of this year had gone through a year of formal teaching um, before they had come in to continue to provision this year. And what we were fully aware of is that if we had told those parents <clears throat> at the start of the, the year um, that we're just going to go back to continuous provision. And I think the way you would explain that is you'd go, you would say this phrase, we're going to go back teaching to what they do in reception. Um, that potentially to a parent is going to raise alarm bells. It's going to make them think, why on earth are they making that decision to take my child back in their learning? I know comfortably that they're in this um, formal environment and it's the way they've gone forward. Now, to answer that scepticism, to address that, we invited parents in in the summer. We got them to see the environment. We also hosted the first week back, we hosted a meet the teacher where I took them around the environment. We looked at it, we explored it together. Um, and I, I spoke about the opportunities they were going to get. And my top tip for bringing parents on board is being transparent. Always, always be transparent. The reasons you're doing continuous provision or the reasons you want to do continuous provision, I hope, are that you want to put the children at the center of everything you're doing. And in my opinion, if you say that to parents and you say, actually, what we're doing here is we're going to raise, raise engagement, therefore we're going to be looking at hiring attainment, um, I can't see the problem now. I think the biggest thing is showing that parents the journey as much as possible. We do a thing every uh, term called show and share where parents come in, they sit with their children uh, and they look through the books. And I remember, really really fondly an example of a parent that um that first show and share i remember them saying and i think we've got the comment somewhere ben that we've kept because it was such a lovely comment was that the range of work that my child has engaged with across this first term has been far greater than anything they've done before and the reason i think we got that was because continuous provision allows you the children themselves to take ownership of their learning and to you know as long as you're modeling it they'll have access to be artists dive into geography or be historians whenever they want and at a real kind of um, wealth and depth of understanding. Okay, James, I think we're coming to the end of this week's podcast. So uh, here's your quick fire round for this week. So number one, top tip to ensure success for year two. Expectations, understanding of the framework. And I would also, also get opportunities in your environment to access the year two curriculum. Highlight those curriculum statements and explicitly say, this is how I'm letting my children access this learning. Sats, lover or hater? <laughs> um, I actually love them because actually what we do is we get our children ready 
and they're ready for those sats every year. And it's a great opportunity to show off that our children's uh, attainment has rocketed. Um, and so therefore I am a lover because it's an opportunity to show off um, how fantastic our children are. Best resource for year two. Or oh. now I took an old book corner um, that had six different compartments. And in, that comp in those compartments, I put writing templates for each of the genres of writing that I wanted to achieve. Non-chronological reports, diaries, letters, newspaper reports, six different examples of writing frameworks in there. And over the course of the first couple of weeks, I modeled how those, uh, what, how those could be used. Um, and then it's in my classroom. I'm constantly filling up. I'm adding to it when we do more as a whole class input. But it's great for getting children just to go into, pick up a, a writing for a, a template and use it for an extended piece of writing. That brings an end to this week's Mr. J Talks, Continuous Provision. Next week, we're talking about James. We are going to be talking about explicit examples of how you extend children's writing across uh, year one and two. Thanks everyone. Bye.